Tangents is a series of podcasts created by the JCT Max team for the Junior Cycle Talks podcast channel. Hello and welcome to Tangents, a JCT Maths team podcast. I'm Eamra Brady. And I'm Katrina Cronin. So Katrina, tell me about who you were talking to this week. Yeah, so Eamra, this week I was talking to Dr. Evie Nahulawan from UCD and we had a really interesting conversation about creativity in a maths classroom and we also spoke about maths in the context of STEM learning, which I think is really interesting and she had a lot of insight to give us on that. Really looking forward to hearing this. Great, I hope you enjoy it. for joining us here on our podcast Tangents. It is a new venture that we're moving into the idea of recording some people telling us a little bit about their involvement in maths education. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start off by asking you how did you become involved in maths education? What started you in your journey to where you are now in terms of teaching and maths and learning? Yeah Uh, well first of all thanks for asking me because it is a real privilege to be asked and um, I think podcasts are a lovely way of sharing uh, stories of people and I love listening to them so I'm hoping I might have something in there for a oh. student teacher or maybe someone who's been out teaching a while and can catch one little nugget I don't know so my journey is a little bit convoluted I guess so I studied theoretical physics here in UCD and then had a little deviation um, as Rosetree the following year and then um, applied to do a PhD in London um, in maths and biology because I really loved fluid dynamics but it, when I started that I realised this actually wasn't going to be for me because it the, the the loneliness of the research I guess and then being in a completely different city um, and all of that it just wasn't I guess enjoyable hmm. and so I had to take a step back at that point and go oh no what am I going to do now because I had always thought that I would pursue the kind of maths research um, and when that wasn't going to work I just had to take a little while and think about it and I took a couple of months and unfortunately then realized that I really wanted to be in a sociable environment I wanted to try and you know share my passion my enthusiasm for maths and physics mm-hmm. and realized teaching was probably the one that would tick all of those boxes and I, I was hesitant about it because my mother has always told me that I should be a teacher and I swore that I wouldn't because both my parents are teachers um but there there you go mummies are often right so <laughs> I had missed the um the window to apply to do the postgraduate diploma in education as it was at the time so I had a, a year out doing lots of different bits on television and um, with the music group and stuff like that but eventually got back and did my postgraduate diploma in education then in Trinity and started teaching in St. Mark's Community School in Tala and I stayed there teaching um, after the dip as well so um, it was a great great school to be in and a great place to learn how to become a teacher as well. And then you were teaching for a while and then you kind of moved into working with student teachers, mm. which is something that mm. you're still doing now. Um, yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that and that kind of move? Yeah. So uh, when I taught in St. Mark's Community School, we were actually one of the pilot schools for Project Maths. And with that, obviously, there was a lot of, uh, you know, professional development associated with it. And I guess we, we just became quite interlinked with the facilitators and with the project maths development team and all that and they started to look for other people who would come and do courses so because I had been teaching the new curriculum for two years before anyone else would 
um, and I had been teaching seniors as well. I signed up to teach the probability and statistics evening courses, yes, I remember modular those. courses, and then I did the geometry one, and then I did the number one, and so I kept on <laughs> training with all of these things. And so I became interested in teacher education. Um, meanwhile, also, we were in St. Mark's trying to figure out how we could collaborate as a maths department. So we had a really great, vibrant maths department there. My mentor teacher in my postgraduate diploma in education was Irene Stone, and we're still great friends, and she's a wonderful teacher. And so we were kind of trying to figure out how could we work together to try and support each other in this curriculum reform. And we just couldn't nail it. We had a couple of meetings where we were like, going to go through lessons together and maybe try and plan a lesson together but we just didn't know how to go about it um and so around that time then um my then my, my supervisor who became my supervisor contacted me to ask me if I wanted to do a PhD in maths education he remembered me from my um, PGDE they were gonna be needing a new person to lecture in their maths ed and so um, he asked me if I would take a PhD on. So I said, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> then he said, come in and have a chat. And so after a couple of months back and forth and really thinking about it, I decided that I uh, would go for it if I got a scholarship. So I applied for um, scholarships in, in Trinity and I was lucky enough to get the Usher scholarship to fund the PhD. And I went ahead and then um, studied uh, for the PhD in maths education in Trinity and then also was lecturing on their their PGDE at the time so I, I did the maths courses there yeah so like quite an organic kind of move towards moving into sort of working with teachers yeah it was it was quite yeah it was actually quite organic and it really came from a desire to to want to figure this out because I really felt that while there were lots of resources available mm-hmm. to us they weren't necessarily exactly what we needed they weren't necessarily exactly what we were looking for they weren't necessarily relevant to our cohort of students who were you know coming from that dash school background which really affected some of them but others who were like super enthusiastic and really really good students and I guess you know every teacher knows this your every class is going to be different and and in a school your culture and your ethos really influences your classrooms as well um, and so this is where that was the nub of it for me. It was like, how do we get a way of supporting each other as, as teachers that is relevant for our classrooms and our students? And that then became the basis of my, my PhD. Yeah. And like, I mean, I think that's really interesting then because you went on to work with student teachers. Um, what did you find most challenging about working with student teachers? So teachers who are learning about how to yeah. be a teacher. So I'm director of our maths and science education program here in UCD. So it's an undergraduate program where all of our students who want to study science come in one door, right. but then they go out 27 different doors. And okay. we don't get you to pick what door you're going to go out until the end of second year. And for this, we feel like you're making a really informed choice about your career, because we don't expect you to know when you're 17 or 18 what you want to do for the rest Absolutely of your life. Absolutely not, yeah. So as part of those 27 doors out, there are five pathways that you can become an applied maths and maths, biology and maths, chemistry and maths, computer science and maths, or physics and maths teacher. Obviously, we're highlighting maths. We think maths is very important. With that, I work with all of those students who are thinking about it in first year, getting more into it in second year. And then there are student teachers for third and fourth year, and then they go on to do a, a master's after that. And I love working with student teachers. And I guess before I finished my PhD, 
I really didn't realise the complexity of initial teacher education because there is so much to learn about being a teacher. Yes. Um, and actually, if you see on my screen behind us, I'm actually preparing a conference presentation for next okay, week wow. about initial teacher education, mm-hmm. specifically about incorporating lesson study into initial teacher education. But when you start looking at the research literature, like there's so much to learn as a teacher because you first of all have to know your content. But all the research will tell you that knowing your content has to be at a high level and then has to be complemented by subject-specific pedagogical content knowledge. And then you have to have all of your skills as a communicator, as a behavioural manager, as someone who has empathy, somebody who can collaborate, somebody who can listen really well, somebody who can govern conversations in a group. Um, so there's so much to learning how to become a teacher and actually, what I'm, I really try and focus on now is not to graduate them as the finished product, because that's almost impossible, because we're always going to be learning as teachers, but graduate them, giving them all the skills and the tools that they need to continue to be lifelong learners. Yes. You know, the challenges there are definitely being outlined. There are so many different things you're learning about when you're becoming a teacher, and it just doesn't stop once you, once you graduate. And then in terms of rewards, what do you find rewarding about working with student teachers? I mean, there's so many different rewarding things. Um, and, but when you ask me that, I immediately go to, oh, but it was so much more rewarding in the classroom. And, you know, I still do pine for the classroom sometimes because you see your students nearly every day and you build up those relationships with them yes. and you can see them learning and you can influence their knowledge and their pathways. And, and, and that was so rewarding um, and I loved it. With my student teachers, I guess I'm really proud when I see them being confident and passionate in what they're doing. So I think they really come into their own in fourth year um, around this time of the year, actually, because it's very overwhelming when you're starting in a school in, uh, in the first instance. And, and we do try and prepare them as much as possible. We actually graduate our placements from first year onwards. But in fourth year, they start their school placement properly, as in, you know, they're really embedded in the school. And it is very overwhelming. But to see them kind of flourishing in that, um, that's very rewarding. And to have my graduate students come back and come mm-hmm. in for chats and talk about what they're doing in the future I love that I mean I had one of my students in last week who's going off to teach in the International School of Malaysia um, wow. in September she was also key in setting up the Project Sums um, initiative okay, wow, where yeah. teachers are volunteering to um, give grinds to students from less well-off backgrounds who just wouldn't be able to afford it and I'm so proud of my students that they're going off and they're kind of you know influencing the educational landscape in that regard so that's really rewarding actually it is and even that they were like instilled with some kind of a passion for teaching education that they want to spread that even further than just their own yeah or their own domain oh absolutely yeah. I mean another of my students is suddenly the the tech lead in her school and she's been at loads of different conferences and she's helping all of her other colleagues now um embed technology in their classrooms and I, this is something I really, really wanted to do, that our student teachers will be people who kind of foresee that reform is necessary in loads of different contexts, from policy, from our pedagogy, mm. from our school systems, teacher professional development, and that they're out there and they can be working with their peers and their colleagues to kind of influence that. 
Yeah, sounds great. I mean, I'm feeling too easy been listening to you. <laughs> um, I suppose you might just go back and kind of talk a little bit about you as a teacher then. So mm. you're in a classroom, so you're teaching in St. Mark's. Yeah. And I'm sure you had a variety of different students and a variety of different classes. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular area of maths that you enjoy teaching mm. um, or working with? And if there is, what is it that you enjoy about it? That is a very good question. I would say now... I love focusing on algebra and algebraic thinking and mm. I think there's so much depth in that, you know, um, and really that's come from visiting classrooms in Japan and, and working a lot with international colleagues looking at you know, algebraic thinking through passions and things like that. But back when I was in St. Mark's, I don't know if I could have say that um, that I was necessarily very creative or useful in that. But to be honest, I think I loved teaching, um, you know, the, the functions and algebra. Um, so I think yeah probably functions in algebra and trying to consider it in different ways like not just the the writing of it but like how does this relate to a graph and if we were to think about it in this way what would happen with that mm-hmm. so I guess that's what I enjoyed but I can't think of anything springing to mind right now that was an excellent class <laughs> I actually but I actually that's really interesting to talk about because I think sometimes like algebra is that kind of like that word that puts fear into students yeah. when they're learning maths but like yeah. the actual the reality of being able to use algebra and using functions yeah. and functional thinking to solve problems is such a really useful application of maths and I think quite often students might not see that until they're maybe a little bit further on so like it's just that idea of like if we can see the use of it early on the use of it and actually you've just reminded me I had a group of second years who it was a small class group and algebra was going to be a massive undertaking with them because of the abstract context the notation all of that kind of stuff so we tried to make it into a game and I had this kind of restaurant menu that they had to write out and things like that um and it like I just took it very very slow with them um but in a way that they were able to actually group like turns together and add um you know the just the the different terms together um and 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 even find out what a value of something was if I gave you the, the numbers for it and to me that was so rewarding that we got to that but it was because I put a context onto it and, and we actually spent so long writing the English sentences out of what this means and I remember at the end of that section they were just like yeah but miss if we're never going to use it in terms of like shopping or being in a restaurant or like being a carpenter, when are we going to use algebra? And it's like, oh my God, they thought of three uses. This is lovely. I'm so delighted. I was so, so proud, proud of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for sure. I suppose it's still thinking, you know, of your time as a teacher. Is there a piece of advice that maybe you received that you found really useful or stayed with you? And um, if there is, then who, who gave it to you? Piece of advice as mm. a teacher. Like, I think that collaborative element is just so important. Um, And I I don't know if it's emphasized enough when you're starting that, you know, those personal relationships that you have with your colleagues are actually really valuable because it's in those conversations that we share that knowledge with each other. And Andy Hargreaves would call it, you know, like that professional capital or that social capital. But you really Mm -hmm. need to base or establish relationships with your colleagues in order to be able to share that knowledge. So I'm not sure if it's necessarily like a nugget or something like that, but just having people who are quite generous with their time, generous with their resources, with their ideas, 
um, I guess one thing that's really important being a teacher is not having an ego about it. That like we're all in education for a reason. Yes. We're, we're there because we love our subject and we love our students. Mm. And just because you came up with something, it doesn't mean that somebody else can never use it. And I say this to my student teachers all the time. They're just like, but I didn't come up with that idea. It's like, that's okay. You can always reference, you should reference the person like where you found the idea but in education we build on each other's work and I think doing that in the local school context is hugely important Mm -hmm. and then doing it more broadly um obviously is very important as well but but I think that that generosity of sharing so like you know I had other colleagues Pat you know who had a a statistics book that he was like pouring through because we were trying to get a handle on it for project Mm -hmm. maths and he was just like look take that for a couple of weeks now for your leave inserts and just things like that that were just Mm -hmm really valuable if somebody had gone off to a course that we'd like you know share that resource we had a shared drive or that you'd photocopy something and and leave it for other people so I think that that generosity of spirit is really important absolutely and I think there was a time in a lot of schools where maybe you were very protective of kind of your resources and your materials and I do think project maths was one of the things that really blew that open because there was new kind of course material that wasn't examined before that maybe some teachers weren't necessarily familiar with Mm -hmm. so now when you found something like not only were you willing to share it you were like you know building up these banks of resources you know and like I think as well even through things like lesson study even inviting teachers into your classroom to observe yeah is a really interesting learning experience because I don't think people are kind of sitting there like maybe judging your teaching but they're observing things and learning things that you probably don't even realize you're doing absolutely absolutely there's loads in there do you know so and I think that that's a massive part of it to yeah I I guess that generosity goes into you know opening your classroom to it but you know we, we probably have to keep being critical mm-hmm. of our own practices as well and ask like are we doing this because we think it's the right way to do it or is it because we've always done it this way um so it's with thinking then about how students learn maths are there any misconceptions about learning maths mm-hmm. that you'd like to maybe bring up and address a little bit loads <laughs> <laughs> how long do we have uh so one thing i just think we're susceptible to in ireland is this thinking that a person's either inherently good or bad at maths. Hmm. And I've been trying to trace this culturally because our cultural mathematical messages always, um, they filter through and and they build maths Hmm. anxieties in people. And I actually think, even though we're going back decades now, but up until the 60s, there was a junior cert paper that was for girls only. And it was Hmm. elementary maths and it was kind of based on doing your housework and carpet and paint and shopping and things like that. And look, all good skills. But the fact that it, it was downgraded because of gender mm-hmm. um, and the fact that very few girls were encouraged to pursue the higher level mathematics, I think it created this message that really boys were better at this and they were mm-hmm. kind of born better with a more sociable brain. Mm-hmm. And that appears to have filtered through because we still mm-hmm. see in our PISA results, for example, that girls are you know far more likely than boys it's you know to to be anxious about mathematics while we see numbers are up for girls taking leaving search honors it doesn't follow through in the university so i mean bonus points are skewing everything at the minute Mm. but we still don't see girls having the confidence to go on and study the mathematic-based subjects physics computer science pure maths you know all of these engineering um, so I think that's the one thing. You are not born good or bad at maths. This is something that you can really hone in on and practice. And teachers have an immense responsibility in getting students to practice in the right way. So in my opinion, 
giving a student a sheet of 30 questions to answer with just writing the answer is not mathematics because mathematics isn't clean. Mathematics is supposed to be messy. We should be um, we should be celebrating mistakes because that's how we learn in maths. And I think this practice of, you know, have a clean, neat sheet with just the answers on it is actually so damaging for our learners because maths is about thinking. And if you ask a mathematician here how long they've worked on a problem, it could be weeks, months, sometimes years, sometimes decades. Mm. And it's not about getting a clean answer. It's how do you get to an answer? And I think they're the real things that we need to focus on when we teach maths. First of all, what is maths? Why do we need to learn it? And now what are the skills that are associated with that? So when I say things like this, people are just like, oh yeah, but there are some people who are geniuses at maths. And you're like, yes, there are. And there's some people who have actual very deep issues with it. Um, and, and, and there will always be people on the either side. But for the vast majority, for the 95%, mathematics is something that we can improve on. And I, I think I myself, I'm a candidate of that. I didn't think I was a good math student, mm. but actually having someone explain it to me in the right way allowed me to excel in it. And then I loved doing my degree. I never found it easy. And I still didn't think I was one of the whizzes in the class, even though my grades were on par. I never thought I was a natural at it. Mm. And it's not until now that I realise I've had a fixed mindset about it from the beginning. And like even just enjoying the challenge is actually part of the enjoyment of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it should be challenging. Yeah. Like if you're not learning, if you're not being challenged, you're not learning. But there are two big things that like we're not born good or bad at it and you can improve if you're working on it in the right ways yeah. well and I guess inherent to that is this is not a gender issue we were at a workshop last week for mathematical problem solving and it was um Paddy Johnson from UL was oh, yeah. delivering it and yeah. he actually mentioned something very like what you were talking about there that students don't always know what coming to math solutions looks like because when they see solutions they see the perfect yeah. solution without the mistakes without the rough work and without the tangent that you went off on and then change your mind and say actually that's not working I'll go back and try something else so sometimes their I suppose perceived notion of being good at maths is having yeah. the perfect final solution without any rough work or mistakes so this is or... kind of what Joe Bowler says quite a lot you know being good at maths is not being fast at maths yet that's often what we emphasize in the classroom we really shouldn't mm. and Alan Schoenfeld talks about problem solving in it's almost as worthy to go down the wrong route because we learn so much from it. Absolutely. But I think, yes, we do not take that responsibility on as teachers. And it was something that I started to do in my last year of classroom practice mm. was actually go and work something out on the board mm. and incorporate mistakes sometimes or ask students, you know, in the, you, we often do it, did I make a mistake there? Um, mm. And your, your your students will go, hold on a second, I think it's actually back here, miss. And I did have one classroom and it was financial maths with the new project maths um, curriculum. And it was a question I hadn't looked at before and we were just trying it as a class. Mm. And I was actually up at the board and I was stuck and I was looking at it going, what have I done? And this was this was actually a key moment for me in my teaching because the students had actually got themselves into groups and they were just like, we've actually figured it out, miss. Where it was, it's it's back here. And as a class group, we talked out where the mistake had come and why that had come about because yeah. it was like a, a really easy misconception um, in the wording of the question. And that was the moment where it's just like, I've empowered them yeah. to go and look at the mistake and it, they're not doing it to, mm. you know, to 
to make fun of me making the mistake. We, we had done it as a classroom community that yeah. it was okay to make mistakes in this classroom and we can actually overcome that. So yeah. I think that's really important that we should be doing yeah. more of that. And like you're also giving them the opportunity to see you as a problem solver as in you don't always have the answer. Sometimes you have to work your way through the problem too and there's a process to all that. So it's and we kind of, talk it out. Yeah. Um, that's actually probably another key message. Like we can't actually do maths properly without talking it out now you might be a person that you talk it out in your own head Hmm. um, and that's what Vygotsky would talk about you know that internal conversation that's happening the whole time Hmm. but I really believe that we cannot make something that is abstract we can't make it sense of it unless we're verbalizing it Hmm. so talking maths and discussing problems is really 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 important and I'm reading research at the minute that you know if we're talking mathematically with children from 18 months onwards it leads to mathematical improvements when they're seven or eight my poor son's going to be a terrible guinea pig but that carries through because all the research will say if you are talking mathematics in your mathematics classrooms it benefits all of the learners yeah it's really interesting and i suppose like that kind of leads me into asking a little bit about when students kind of give up when they're engaging with math so mm. like just in your opinion is there a common reason for a student kind of like getting to that point where they're they're, they're going to stop Stop trying, put the pins down. Well, yeah, because I think unless we establish the environments where we realise that mistakes are actually going to be beneficial, um, and if a student only sees you're right or wrong, you're fast or slow, and this is the way forward to the maths, and then only the good, fast people who are confident putting up their hand all the time are going to get there, I'm going to give up because I don't want to continuously fail in this, so I'm just going to switch off from it, Mm -hmm. and I totally understand that. So I think how we talk about mathematics how we portray it in the classroom, the types of exercises we give our students, if it's going to be only based on procedures and only based on learning rules without actually talking about why are we carrying a one, we're adding two of these two-digit numbers here. Mm. You know, without knowing the why behind it, the research will tell us that the students actually increase in their anxiety and then eventually will switch off it. So I, I really feel it's, it's based around our learning environments and our approaches to teaching this subject and this subject is a subject that's growing and evolving all of the time it's not you know a ready-made book of facts it's actually something we really need to figure it's a human endeavor to be a mathematician Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's something we should try and incorporate from the very beginning in our maths classrooms look we're all guilty of this I think at the start of our teaching career we're doing all of the work if we're covering a curriculum but Mm -hmm. really we need to be focusing on what are what's the work our students are doing and is that telling me that they're achieving the learning outcomes that I'm setting out yeah and absolutely. to flip that focus on who's doing the work in the classroom it's fun important in learning like of course it is you know but you can't have like fun and games in every classroom and I don't think every classroom should be a circus so but to me what's the, the most important thing is that you establish relationships with your students relationships with boundaries so that they know there's a line to cross and mm-hmm. after that line's crossed there's not going to be an engaging classroom or there's not going to be, you know, positive outcomes of, I, I, I'm not sure, but like fun has to be part of it. You have to try and get your students to enjoy, but that's where your pedagogical content knowledge comes in. Because if you know your students, you know what get what will get them interested in, in a certain topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think establishing those personal relationships where they know that you're working hard for them and they will work hard for you. And I think that that's key. 
Yeah. And I suppose um, you mentioned there like that a good relationship with your students is important to like, I suppose, encourage them and to, I suppose, keep them engaged. Are there ways in which a teacher can try and develop or encourage these positive relationships with students? Yeah, but I think it takes time. You know, we, we're often quite impatient with this and we expect after three weeks that, you know, I'm going to get this class nailed. Um, and I'm specifically thinking of a fifth year physics class that I had. It took about two and a half months I think to get them on board and it was just being consistent and I, w- I worked so hard for their classes to make it engaging and I had you know relevant videos and we were doing all the demos and the experiments and eventually we got it so I think time mm-hmm. and I think being authentic with kids because they can see straight up if you're not knowing your subject and being passionate about your subject I think is, is, is a lot of the, the battle mm-hmm. but but also as I said earlier like if they know you're working for them on mm. their behalf, they will work for you. Um, and I think, you know, that that's a that's something to kind of strive for with all the boundaries that, you know, they have to toe the line and they have to do the homework oh, yeah, and all course. that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, um, talking about it, it makes me miss the classroom. Um, I might just ask you if there was one simple change that a teacher could make that would have a positive impact on their students, like what might that be? Maybe keep asking why. Um, because even if a student's giving you the right answer, why is that the right answer, or how did you get to it? I think questioning constantly, um, is is really important. So if you can try and not ever give a straight answer, but actually respond with a question, it, mm-hmm. uh, I think someone calls it the reflective toss, and that you constantly respond with the question so that you're really putting the onus back on them. They're responsible for their learning. You're facilitating. You're you're scaffolding it, mm-hmm. but like it has to go back onto them and the work that they're doing with it. So maybe that. Yeah. We're kind of, I suppose, talking about creativity a lot in terms of kind of the maths classroom and what we kind of think that might look like. And it's kind of one of the themes for our podcasts where we're asking everyone we interview about it. So I might just start off by asking you, what do you think it means to be creative just on its own without worrying about context? <gasps> oh gosh, what, what do you mean to be creative? <laughs> I guess it's just having the capacity to come up with new ideas um i guess creativity doesn't have a lot of boundaries to it um so and i actually think you need downtime in order to be creative your mind needs to be still in order to be creative um so i guess that's what it is my my husband comes from a kind of a creative design background and so um, it's interesting to see how he works as opposed to how I work because I find myself that I think I'm very methodical but when you're researching or you're writing or something you still need to have those like moments of creativity go oh that's how I'm going to tackle that and mm. um, so I guess it's just coming up with ideas in a space where you need something new yeah, yeah. and even like taking time to think you know it, and it's thinking time I mm-hmm. think it's fascinating that most people will say I had this thought in the shower and why did you have a thought in the shower because you weren't doing anything else mm-hmm. and you were doing something that you do every day and so your brain was able to wander off somewhere else and that's where the idea came yeah. in so I, I do think you know switching off screens is really important for creativity if you were to move that into the context of a maths classroom then is it possible to be creative in a maths classroom absolutely and do you, you know what I think I became convinced of this when I was first correcting the leaving search and okay. I had ordinary level papers and there was one question and it was a kind of a geometry question but it was mixed in a little bit of functions as well and I in my own innocence really thought there was actually only one way of answering this and then in the course of correcting there were five or six different ways and I was reading them going oh my god I never would have thought that's actually brilliant you know you wanted to give them double marks obviously you couldn't (laughs) but 
because it was just how you weren't thinking about it um, I just find that really exciting and so you can absolutely be creative in mathematics and you have to be creative in mathematics because when you do mathematics as a professional as a mathematician as a researcher there isn't necessarily an answer and so there's infinite almost possibilities of, of getting to a solution mm. and being creative is actually finding finding that's finding the key pathways or talking to someone else and getting an idea off them um, and so creativity is, is key I think to excelling in anything mm, yeah super and I like I really like that idea as well about like those pathways that's a huge part of what we do when we're trying to promote problem solving in the maths classroom which is to like think about different pathways and to explore them and to make decisions in afterwards how can we as teachers tap into student creativity in our maths classes so what kind of things can we get students to do that allows them to develop their their creative skills uh, that's a million dollar question isn't it and I guess that's where the CBAs are coming in now can mm. we try and be creative in this and I guess having free reign is important in these things um, but I recently read some research actually on problem solving that suggested that students aren't going to be good at coming up with their own problems and coming up with their own solutions until they've been scaffolded by being given problems and then suggested solutions for other problems and that that's a way of guiding them into their own problem solving strategies. Um, and I guess I would feel that same way. You know, you're so daunted when you have something to do and you've got nothing on it. But if, if you can you know mm. have a paragraph done or, or have an outline of what it might look like and mm. um, so I guess in problem solving as a teacher maybe having a bank of interesting problems mm. and that can be open-ended problems that we don't have solutions for or it can be that there is only one specific solution and I think it's good to have that mix of like like real mathematics based questions versus questions that are open-ended and by mathematics based I don't know could you ask a question like why does area increase of a rectangle when the perimeter increases? And is there a relationship between the perimeter and the area that we could figure out? Like I'm just off the top of my head, but in terms of an open-ended problem, you know, how how many elephants could you fit in a zoo or something like that? Mm. Do you know? Um. So I think it's good to have that mix, and maybe also good to see them see you trying it and making mistakes and not getting flustered yeah and, and really just kind of working through something yeah and even i think like that idea of it not necessarily being a linear thing that you don't have to develop how to pose a question first oh, and then how to definitely. solve it that you can actually totally focus on yeah. solving stuff first and i think this is something that i learned as a researcher like you're never going to write a thesis from start to finish it's always going to be populating little bits here and there and it's exactly the same when you're teaching complex things we mm. have to think about it like it's that circular curriculum. We'll do the basis. We'll work on it. We'll come back on something again. Mm. Um, and, and like, you know, you're never, you're not going to become an amazing problem solver at the beginning. Mm. But if I can task you with a problem and push you a little bit further and push you a little bit further. And again, if we go back to Joe Bowler's writings or Alan Schoenfeld's writings and, you know, teaching for robust understanding, um, I think has some good examples of questions and and take them and actually work on them yourself get frustrated and then give them to your students hmm. i think that's important that's a really nice way of maybe approaching that um a sort of encouragement of creativity through problem solving for sure i know that you work a lot in stem and it is probably something that you feel very passionate about i know you've mentioned sort of physics quite a lot and uh, and so on so i'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what stem is 
Yeah, well, this is a debate, isn't it? Mm, because it is for some people, STEM is one thing in its own mm. and it represents all the sciences. And then for other people, it's science, technology, engineering and maths, all separate subjects. Mm. So it really depends on who you're talking to and it depends on what context you're looking at curricula. Mm. Some countries do it as STEM is one thing. Other countries are looking at these as separate subjects. Mm. To be honest, maybe I'm a Luddite in some things and, I, and I'm not like... You know, I'm not one of those people who jump first and say, oh, I'll try out that new iPhone or I'll be the first with the electric car. And so maybe I'm a bit slow to the game of calling it STEM because I still like to keep our subjects and our subject matters separate. Um, but I do think that having a, a foundation in maths is key to all of the other sciences. Um, I think having a scientific mind that just basically means we're constantly questioning everything around us. And I base that on, on, on Feynman and, and his mm-hmm. kind of philosophy of science, which is you just keep questioning. And if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I think that's a great basis to come at things. And engineering in terms of, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to think about it in lots of different ways. And technology in that we all really need to be savvy with technology now. But in terms of programming um, and in terms of being able to, write algorithms and things like that to me that's all mathematics because Mm. if you can write a good efficient elegant program it's the same thing to me as having a good elegant theorem Mm. and it's just about writing it in a way that's um, understandable to the Mm. reader be that the computer or another person reading your math theorem so I think they're all really interlinked and intertwined I'm not sure how we teach them as one just yet Mm. and we probably will get there Uh, but I really think that having a solid basis in your mathematical knowledge or understanding really what maths is mm. um, is important to all of the other sciences yeah for sure and like I suppose I would often comment on the fact that sometimes it seems as if maths is the silent partner in STEM I think we definitely recognise it as something that there is science in or technology in or engineering in and sometimes it feels as if the, the aim the maths is the afterthought is in well there's maths in those things okay as opposed to the, the maths being important in its own in right in its own right I don't know if you found something similar I'm think probably in the wrong environment because I work <laughs> with mathematicians and statisticians the whole time so um like I just see that it's so important every day and mm. the research that comes out of our school for example we're the biggest school of maths in the whole country yeah. and the research that comes out of um the school in terms of like all our statisticians and our applied computational mathematics mm. um department the, there's just so much that I feel that maths is absolutely core mm. and more and more now it's really interesting that the biologists want to work with mathematicians because mm. they've got to a point where there's only so much more that they can do in terms of the actual biological structures they need the mathematical modeling now Mm. to figure out what might happen even when we're talking about current health epidemics Mm. it's actually mathematicians who are working on those models and they might get it wrong and different Mm. teams will look at different parameters and different initial conditions Mm -hmm. um but i feel that the maths is key yeah and like it's really interesting that you brought up mathematical modeling there because i suppose it is a really useful application of what we know about maths sort of like take this real life problem translate it into maths solve the maths and then like retranslate back into real life to kind of like interpret like what that actually means yeah but like you know spread disease is obviously a massive one i know like anything to do with climate change there are so many different models for like weather for ocean temperature for like all of these different things and i think this this is one of the ways that sort of like we can really like hone in on the fact that maths is an important part of even mapping um even mapping election boundaries in the united states mathematicians are actually core to that at the minute because there's so many there's so much gerrymandering going on Mm. that now they're bringing in statisticians to make sure and mathematicians to make sure that 
it is trying to be as even as possible for um, voters and like if you think about it, that's such a massive social issue hmm. um that we if we can underpin that with the maths and the stats hmm. with the knowledge that we can be very biased in our <laughs> modeling yes. and in our reading of the statistics hmm. um but that's how we should be tackling these problems i yeah. feel yeah, it's really, really interesting. And um, I suppose then just from a teaching point of view then, would you have any practical advice for teachers who would like to get their students more engaged with maths and STEM and really see the value of maths, not just as a support STEM, but as a discipline in its own right? Hmm. That's an interesting project. I actually even ask my first year students to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask them to go find a researcher and have a look at some of their research work. Mm-hmm. So if you took UCD for an example, mm-hmm. um, if you took some of the staff and the maths and stats you clicked in on their profile and it will link you to their publications now some of the pure abstract mathematics may be inaccessible i, I would find it mm. inaccessible but if you go to the applied and computational mathematicians or the statisticians you'll see that they're working on very valid real life problems and maybe even looking at an image in one of their papers mm. or a newspaper article that's been written about one of their papers that might give you an in- indication of, of really where it is in real life because mm. Like, we're so privileged here as researchers to be working on problems that we're really interested in. Mm. And that's, you know, a lot of taxpayers' money is going into it. So we should be tackling that more and and trying to actually get into the research a little bit more. So that might be a nice activity. Yeah. And even just, I suppose, in terms of students then in school too, like career pathways, like Mm. that kind of like indicates them as well. Like, you know, you can study maths and then use that maths to like kind of really like, you know, help people or develop new technology or, you know, get involved in politics or whatever it might be. Absolutely. that, That it's not just you study maths and it's pure maths. It's like no. you study maths for something. And the research tells us that this is a, a lot of the reason why girls don't go into the STEM subjects. They don't see how it mm. positively impacts the world around them. So we need to tell those stories a little bit more, um, mm. most definitely. Yeah, for sure. And um, I suppose then, going back to the idea of creativity again then, um, do you think it's possible to be creative in a STEM space? And what might that look like? You, you <laughs> cannot work in a STEM space without being creative. Mm. So... Yeah, look, people are being creative every day, whether you're in your lab or, you know, working on research at a computer or you're modeling astrophysics, whatever it is, you're being creative. I think that's so valuable as well for kind of people to think about it because sometimes, and I think it is maybe that structure because we're in school and we're like, you know, kind of cognizant of it might be exams, it might Mm. be CBAs, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, that sometimes we kind of forget to encourage the space for thinking, space for creativity in the maths context, just to allow people that little bit more kind of, I suppose, mileage out of it as objects. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you go on to a university and you study maths-based subjects, there's less and less emphasis on the exam as Mm -hmm. one summative assessment. And we do an awful lot of continuous assessment. We do a lot of tutorials. We do a lot of group work. Mm -hmm. And so while the Leaving Cert is very... I guess you have to be strategic in how you work for it. I, I think it's good to keep an eye that this isn't actually the mathematics experience you might have later. Evie, you've given me a huge amount to think about in terms of creativity, creativity in maths and even creativity in STEM learning. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks, Katrina. It's always lovely to take time out and have a chat. You're very welcome. chance to listen to what Eileen had to say about lots of different aspects of teaching and learning is there anything in particular that stood out to you anything that kind of struck a chord 
Well, there's some really nice conversations there around um, creativity and maths and maths in the context of STEM and lots of food for thought. So I'll be thinking about that podcast for a while. Hey, that's great to hear. Thank you for listening to Tangents. To find out more about our podcast resources or to get in contact, go to www.jct.ie forward slash maths or follow us on Twitter at JCT Maths. To hear more from Junior Cycle Talks, search for us on SoundCloud or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts.